I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing to leave a faith tradition. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, mm-hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your guest host, Britt Bowlerjack, and for the next few months, we're going to be interviewing millennial pastors who have transitioned out of the Church of the Nazarene. It is my hope and prayer that these stories will be um, the catalyst for beautiful conversations to come about who we are and where we're going and how we can better embody who God is calling us to be. You're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. One of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay. But I would say if you're gonna stay, you have to do the work. That's really all that matters at the end of the day, because it's all about faithful ministry. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Britt Bowlerjack, and I'm here with my guest, Adam Young. He is the pastor at First UMC, The Colony. Welcome to the show. Thanks. <laughs> I guess I should say First United Methodist Church, so it's like more more clear. But anyway, um, right. so I wanted to start at the beginning of the story and ask you uh, originally, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? I grew up in the Church of Nazarene. Uh, my grandfather was a pastor for many years in uh, the Church of the Nazarene in kind of rural Oklahoma. And so um, I just, uh, I, all of my memories of church are from are from church, churches of the Nazarene and especially growing up. And so I have a, a great fondness and, and definitely uh, embraced the small worldishness of the Church of the Nazarene, uh, and it is a small Nazarene world. Yes. It is, it, you, uh, and that's, it's still that way. Like you feel like anywhere you go, if you if you hear somebody is from the Church of the Nazarene, you know somebody who knows somebody, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and you can always find those mutual connections. Um, and it's still that way for me. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, it's the it's the church that I was born into and baptized in, and uh, grew up in. So great. Um, tell me about your call to ministry. Oh man, how many times have I said this? Um, so I, uh, I really felt uh, like God wanted me to set aside my whole life uh, at, at an early age, uh, probably around the age of seven or eight, I kind of had that conversation with my mom of what does it mean to give your life to Christ? And at the kitchen table, um, she kind of led me through that. And, and I, I really felt like I wanted to put Jesus first. Uh, I didn't, I didn't quite know what all of that meant just yet, but then mm. a few years later, uh, we were uh, living in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and um, uh, we had a good old fashioned revival at our church, and on, uh, I can't remember who this who the speaker was that week, but um, he he talked on the first night uh, about uh, just sanctification and giving your whole self to God, um, and asked if anybody you know was feeling like they wanted to do that, and I kind of responded to that, and, and really felt like yeah, I, I don't want to hold anything back from God. I want mm-hmm. I want God to have all of me. Um, and so I kind of went down to the altar and, and prayed and said, you know, God, I want to give you all of myself. And 
Uh, and, and still at that point, probably didn't know what I had kind of got myself into by making that, uh, that bargain with God. Um, but uh, a few years later, uh, brings me to NYC 99 in Toronto. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. And, pro- and leading up to that, let's see, I was probably uh, almost 15 at that time. Um, and um, I remember even in the lead up to NYC, starting to feel like God was saying, you need to think about ministry. And mm-hmm. at that point in time, but the most formative people in my life were my youth pastors. Uh, and so I was like, they're really cool. I could see being really cool like them. Uh, and so I was feeling like God was calling me to youth ministry, or maybe, maybe that was, you know, in my, in the cards for me. Um, and so then at NYC 99 in Toronto, um, I remember one of the speakers, um, oh, I can't remember his name now. He was a, a black guy. He was a really great preacher. Um, and he just, he invited, I can't remember his name. He's still around, but um, he he just invited everybody that was kind of feeling like they were experiencing a, a call to ministry. Like they were questioning that if, if that's what God was calling them to do, to come down to the front. They wanted to pray for us. And, mm-hmm. and I went down and I remember kind of in that moment, feeling that that sense of being surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses of feeling like the holy spirit was present i I don't think i could have tangibly named all of that then those kinds of things then uh, but it was definitely a palpable moment of feeling connected to god of feeling like god was calling me into ministry um and really i never looked back after that I, i there were i think when i went to college uh i went to southern nazarene university and um i uh, my parents really wanted me to um, you know, deeply evaluate whether or not ministry was uh, a viable option for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they wanted me to have something to fall back on just in case it, it wasn't, but mm-hmm. also um, have some practical other kind of training. And so I, I listened to my parents uh, for better or for worse um, and got a business degree for my undergrad but I took a bunch of electives in, in the uh, theology and religion department and loved all of them. Um, and, and then after college, I, um, I spent a year kind of just working and, and then Mallory and I got married after that. And um, I kind of came to this crossroads moment of, okay, I've been involved in ministry. I had all throughout college, I, I served at my grandpa's church uh, and did youth ministry there, and I sort I kind of helped out at some of their churches too, um, just as a volunteer. Um, but I, the, at my grandpa's church, I, I ran that. I really ran that youth ministry while I was there for those kind of five years, um, and I kind of had to come to a, a a point which I had to take the leap and either go to seminary or kind of just stay on the course of following a generic career. Um, and I, I took the leap and I really felt like I, I need to follow through with this. And, and this is what God wants me to do. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so at the time, as I was evaluating um, uh, where to go for seminary, I was trying to choose between uh, Perkins School of Theology in Dallas at SMU and uh, Nazarene Theological Seminary. Um, I ended up being offered a job in Dallas to do youth ministry 
and my parents lived down here and it just kind of it felt like signs were were pointing that direction and, mm. and that that made a lot of sense for me so I had I already had a lot of connections in the Dallas area and I didn't have any up in Kansas City and yeah uh, I really I really also um liked what I saw out of Perkins um I I I really liked the academic rigor that they had in their program and I had done a um I had done a project over a Christmas break for one of my theology ministry classes and used the Perkins library and was just blown away at how awesome it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, 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 really cool. Um, and, and so I had had some experience being on campus there. And so just kind of felt like that's where God was leading me and, and answered my call to ministry by going to seminary at Perkins. And, Sorry, that and, was a long story. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, no, keep, keep going. So you, Tell me about the the kind of ministry journey. You were pastoring then at a Nazarene church in the Dallas area. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I had said before that I uh, I had done youth ministry at my my grandfather's church, but it was it was a very unique ministry. Like we, um, I didn't interface with any parents. Mm-hmm. We uh, we would go pick up the kids in in church vans. Um, and we, it would take about 30 minutes to go round them all up and we'd bring them back to the church. We had 20 or 25 kids involved in the program. And, um, and I just, I ran that on Wednesday nights. Um, and I had a couple of my college friends help me out with that. Um, and, you know, we just, we spent about two hours with them every Wednesday and then and brought them back home after that. And I even, I planned a couple of trips and, and things like that with them. And seriously, never interacted with the parents it was just mm. I just communicate with the kids and they they would drop them off and we would take them it was it, it was it was not your typical youth ministry yeah. um so then I when I took the job in Dallas it was a very different ministry context which um which I was not fully prepared for um and then also looking back it was a very unhealthy environment mm. um and I realize now that it was um, it was just a toxic environment, um, and so it, that was really my first foray into professional youth ministry, um, and it did not go well, um, mm. and it was very painful. Uh, mm. And and some of the people in the church um, treated my wife Mallory, your sister. <laughs> Yeah, very, very, very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and within even like the first month, there were lots of tears um, and oh. lots of uh, thinking that we needed to go back to Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. I, I had like just started classes mm-hmm. uh, at Perkins. Um, and uh, so it didn't take long. And there were, there were, I went, I wished I had been just a little bit wiser. There, there were some red flags. Um, that popped up before we started that I should have paid better attention to mm. um, in accepting that position. I mean, I can imagine you have you said the first month and like that's supposed to be like your honeymoon period. Like you're supposed to be yeah falling in love, not freaking out. So um and then after we we ended up lasting about six months before I got 
another job at just I, I was like I, I can't do another ministry job right now so I went to work at FedEx King Goes at the time mm-hmm. um and um and then still in seminary yeah I I that first semester actually the first year of seminary uh Perkins makes all their students take a spiritual formation class in which mm-hmm. they it's it's all just it's meant to be a spiritual kind of support group an encouragement mm-hmm. group Mm-hmm. Um, and there is some learning involved too, but it's just very much spiritual encouragement and, and accountability. And um, and it was led by, uh, my class was led by an Episcopal priest. Um, and I learned a great deal from her. Mm-hmm. And she was very loving and kind. Um, and kind of the whole class walked with me through that painful experience. Um, and I, there was definitely a time where we were, cont- where I was contemplating just giving up and, and going back um back home uh and and she said no do you enjoy the learning what about are you enjoying seminary how has it been for you and and seriously and just in that first semester i felt like i had learned so much and was enjoying the learning so much that i knew at that point i i had i was totally questioning my call to ministry in general but i knew i was called to seminary (laughs) Because it was so, it was just so, um, like enlivening and enlightening mm. and um, empowering, like yeah. life-giving. Yes, like the the um, the theology I was learning in the new, the the way the Bible was being opened up in just ways that I had not ever experienced before was so fresh and and interesting and new. And I had had some experiences even spiritually with God during that time where it just it felt very much like that's where I needed to be mm-hmm. um and so um uh also in that same time we found out we we were pregnant with our first child um which was both joyful and very difficult because very early on in our marriage we were both very young and that was not our original plan mm-hmm. um but uh but we stuck with it I went ahead and stuck with seminary I took a very light load the second semester in the mm-hmm. spring after I um left the that church and then was working at FedEx Kinkos and then kind of back in the next the next year during fall I, I kind of re-enrolled at a higher level um with a new brand new baby <laughs> so yeah so then did did you get back into ministry at some point I did um so that journey was you know I spent a couple of years just working at the FedEx Kinkos uh, and uh, and taking classes, um, and, and I I was working full time, and I was only able to take classes half time for the first couple of years, and then kind of at the end of my second year, um, I I was realizing if I stayed at that pace, it was going to take me like seven years to graduate, <laughs> and and so I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna have to buckle down and really and really do more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started taking more and more classes. And I and then as I started heading towards the end of my um, Perkins journey, uh, what was on the horizon was the need for an internship. Um, and before that came up, before it came time for me to apply for that, it was like I, I needed to figure out which direction I was going to go. Was I going to go just like kind of nonprofit type work um, and, and do um, – Kind of social justice type work or was i going to go into church ministry 
And so I felt like my previous experience in youth ministry just was a bad one. And I chalked it up to a bad one. And having talked with uh, two different youth pastors who followed me, they both had similar experiences and didn't last very long in that same mm. environment. Um, so I knew it wasn't just me. <laughs> um, and so I, I thought, well, what I could do is find maybe a part-time uh, ministry job and, mm -hmm. and try and finish seminary doing part-time ministry job. I was like, I don't even know if those exist or, or what I could find. But I ended up finding one in a Methodist church. I had never worked in a Methodist church um, and, and went ahead and applied for that job. And I got that job and, um, and worked in a Methodist church for the first time. And uh, it was so much fun, and it was a great uh, environment. Uh, it was a it was a really pretty big sized church, um, bigger than I, I've ever been in before. Um, we had a, a youth ministry of about two hundred, and um, I was the assistant youth minister. Um, we used to joke whether or not I was the assistant youth minister or assistant to the youth minister, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> official title was assistant youth minister um and so i i worked at that church it was uh, first united methodist church of rockwall and um kind of a suburb of of dallas and um uh the the youth pastor there his name was paul and he was just uh exactly what i needed in a friend and a mentor at that time in my life and he taught me so much about good and healthy youth ministry and uh, a well-functioning um program and what it meant to be part of a, a healthy church um and all of that was was really cool around that same time i actually helped um i was one of the charter members for a nazarene church plant that was a missional church plant in dallas um and it was a wonderful wonderful group of people and one of the things that we were trying to do is kind of get back to our our wesleyan roots and some of the sacramental um theology and sacraments of uh, of the church and some of the liturgy um historical liturgy that we really all enjoyed um and in doing that and helping create that um it was that was really fun and enjoyable and felt like very very meaningful ministry mm. um especially considering we were in kind of situated in the low income part of of dallas um it felt very authentic and i really enjoyed it um, but then as I had begun attending that Methodist church, um, I realized that the, the United Methodist church had uh, been practicing this liturgy and sacramental theology and, and all of those sacraments for a very long time. And it was already a natural part of, of what they were doing. Uh, and they, um, I began to notice some, some subtle differences even though we were both kind of from a Wesleyan background, I, I began to notice some subtle differences in the theology uh, and the practice of mm -hmm. ministry between um, Methodist and, and the Nazarene church. Um, and it definitely, it definitely started to get me thinking. So in the two years that you were working at um, FedEx and going to seminary, were you consider yourself Nazarene and attending a Nazarene church at that point? Yes, I was. Um, we were attending a, a different Nazarene church in in the Dallas area. Um, you know, good good church, good people. Um, I had actually um, been attending that church in high school, um, so I was very familiar with with that church and those folks. And 
Um, and so it was a very comfortable place for us. And I, I actually just stayed out of the ministry um, side of things and just just attended. And that was kind of the season of ministry, the scene is the season of life that we were in at that point in time. Yeah, we 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 got involved with um, the kind of the young adult class there. There was mm-hmm. a, a really strong Sunday school class uh, of young adults there. We, there was about thirty of us or so, thirty to forty of us on a good day, um, and we uh, we really enjoyed just our our fellowship and our company and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we, we ended up lo- um, launching another type of service at that, at that church. Mm. Um, and we, we met on Saturday nights um, and it was kind of more liturgical and uh, a little bit more sacramental in orientation. And, and we all really kind of craved that, um, mm. that connection to um, the, the traditions of the church um, and um, we also really had an appetite for um, kind of social issues and, and wanting to be involved with, um, you know, with those kinds of things too. Uh, and just looking for authentic expression of, of Christian community. Um, and that, that worship service, um, it, it kind of it took on a life of its own that I'm not sure looking back exactly how this happened but there was a point in time where um we we decided that for the goals of our community um that we we needed to kind of go and do our own thing Mm. and it was kind of it was kind of mutual um it was like hey we want to we kind of want to send you out and bless you to go go do your own thing because we weren't quite feeling like we fit and they weren't quite feeling like we fit either Sure. Um, with, with the big church. Um, and so that's when we went and left and, and planted the, uh, planted the new thing. Okay. Got it. And then from there, you end up interning at a Methodist church through seminary. Yeah, it took, uh, I think it was about a year later after we planted that I ended up going to, um, take the job with the with the Methodist Church and for a while we were kind of involved in both we kind of had our foot in both worlds mm-hmm. because that group of young adults that group of now young families that we were involved with we were just very close with and yeah. and um so we stayed connected with them for a while mm, love that um so let me ask you uh kind of the the beginning of the this pivot story I guess is um Tell me about the first time that it occurred to you that you might not stay in the Church of the Nazarene. I, um, it was a gradual process um, of kind of finding out and learning about kind of Methodist history and polity and theology. Um, what, What started to change for me was um definitely seeing that what i what what i had felt like i was really longing for in the liturgy and the sacraments was already very much present in in the methodist church and yeah. and the way the way that they talked about god was just a little different 
Mm. Um, and the way that they talked about how we are to be in relationship with God was just a little bit different. Mm. Um, so what it really came down to for me was um, within the sacraments, there we would follow this regular, and we and I still do, obviously, this regular litany, uh, kind of a call and response litany. And um, it's very intentional and placing God as the actor in that moment of communion or in baptism. And it was much less about my action and much more about God's action in me and through me and through in the sacramental moment. Mm-hmm. Um, there, in our, in the theology of, of the Methodist church, what, it was very uh, also intentional about expressing the very real presence of Christ in the, in the fourfold uh, actions of communion and the breaking, the blessing, the giving and the receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so in, in that moment, it was affirmed and acknowledged that Christ is really present. And for me, uh, that, that is what makes it different from being uh, a sacrament and it being just a memorial thing that, that we are doing and reenacting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it takes it into a, a moment of real grace being given in that moment where we can expect God to show up and where we can expect God to be present in those elements and in the people that are gathered around the table, uh, that there was something very palpable about that that uh, drew me in. Um, and what I began to realize is that the language that they used around the table, around the Lord's table, um, shaped the way that they talked about God in their sermons, the shaped the way that they talked about God in their in their Bible studies. It, it, it was much less about my commitment to God than it was about God's commitment to me. Mm. Um, and all through my growing up, um, my spirituality, um, whether this was the intent of Nazarene theology or not, the, the message that I heard, and it's very much could just be on the part of the hearer, right? Sure. The message that I received was you, you need to be holy. And in order to be holy, you've got to commit and, and stay committed and commit harder. And you need to commit harder and commit over and over again. And that mm. constant altered calls and, and different things that I always felt compelled to you know respond to mm. um and, and you know frankly that's probably what led me into ministry right if i go back to that original moment of feeling uh like i i wanted to give all of myself to god that's that's what it came down to mm. um what i what i began to kind of deconstruct and unpack uh as i neared my seminary journey was that the basis of my relationship with God was um, was all on me. And I always felt like there was this bar set just one notch above what I could actually grasp mm. in terms of making God happy. Mm. Um, that I was always reaching for something that was not quite attainable. That no matter how hard I tried, I was never going to fully please God. And what I realized was that 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 was just my understanding of God that I was trying to 
reach up to. And once my understanding of God changed um, to, to realize that I am, I am just a deeply loved uh, child of God and there's nothing in this world that can change that, my, my whole spirituality and, and life and um, understanding of, of church and ministry changed. And I couldn't go back at that point. Um, and uh, for me, the the major difference, as subtle as it may be, is that the the overarching emphasis of the Church of the Nazarene was holiness, and something that seemed just utterly unattainable. Mm. And the emphasis of the United Methodist Church was grace, and just God's prevenient and sanctifying and justifying grace that um, is very much God being for me. Um, and I just needed to rest in that um, and be at ease with who I am and whose I am. And that uh, once, once I could do that, um, I could breathe mm-hmm. and I could feel like I am loved. You know what? I am loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, tell me about the the kind of next steps on that journey from your, um, you know, like varied gradual realization to the eventual actual like pivot that you made. Yeah. So I was, it was, this was back in 2012. I was about to go before the district board for I think my first interview. Okay. With with the Church of Nazarene for the board for the with the board of ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I had I had been through all of the kind of the local stuff and and gotten to the point where I was about ready to go in front of the district board for my first big interview. Um, and it was coming up. Uh, I can't remember the exact timing, but I graduated in May from from Perkins, and um, at the same time, uh, the my assistant youth minister job um, was not going to make ends meet anymore, mm-hmm. and I need something full time and not part time. So I, I went and found uh, another job, and I had interviewed at a couple of Nazarene churches. Um, for their senior pastor position. Hmm. Um, and uh, I hate to bring it back to just practical reality, but the practical reality was they were going to pay me um, less than what I was making at the assistant youth minister job for a part-time job um, as an assistant youth minister where they wanted a full-time um, senior pastor. Mm. Um, and so when I, I was, and I, there were a couple of different churches that I looked at in the area, I, I, I will admit that I didn't expand my search nationwide or anything like that. Sure. Um, but, uh, and I did get offered those jobs, but I couldn't in, in good conscience, take those jobs. They, they were also not close. So we would have had to have either a long commute or move. Mm-hmm. Um, and we couldn't afford that at the time. And my wife wasn't making enough to support the both of us basically at the time. Sure. Uh, and we had had our second kid also mm-hmm. at the time. So I was like, that's just not going to work. So I started 
uh, you know, also looking around at other Methodist churches too, to see what they were hiring. And I got a full-time job that, um, that paid pretty well. Um, and, um, it, but it was in a completely different context. So out in Rockwall, that was a big, like 3000 member church. And we averaged like a thousand on a Sunday and, um, the the church I ended up going to was a church of 60 (laughs) and it was a tiny little church um and within a couple of months of being there when I felt the same sense of reverence for the sacraments the same the same language around God being Mm. spoken I began to realize that this wasn't just a a Rockwell thing this was a Methodist thing Mm. um and I had been around it enough to at some of the bigger kind of district and regional gather, gatherings that um, it had it had become clear to me that that this was just a a culture, um, a different a different Christian culture than mm. what I had grown up with, and it it was really it was really um, noticeable and intriguing. Um, and so when I when I would when I kind of came to this had this epiphany of I'm experiencing the same thing in a 60 person church as it was at a thousand person church. Mm. And both are meaningful in totally different ways, but both are meaningful and both seem to have this same sort of common thread of theology and a practice of ministry. It, it seemed um, pretty recognizable at that point that I was ready to make a switch. And I had to kind of decide how how I was going to make that switch if mm. if I was going to do it um I thought had about you, did you have this interview already the interview you were talking about not quite okay not okay quite so I was I was still about I was about to go up before the district board um and I had to decide am I going to go ahead and go through with this knowing like I'm already feeling not called into or call, being like feeling like I'm called out of the Nazarene church. Um, I, I was having a hard time kind of wrapping my head around, um, the cognitive dissonance that was happening within me. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, at that point I was like, no, I, I think it's time. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, I went ahead and withdrew from the ordination, ordination process in the Nazarene church and, and started the ordination process in the Methodist church basically at the same time um and then yeah the Methodist church ordination ordination process needs some fixing because <laughs> from that point it took me um it took me uh yeah six six years um to be to finish the ordination process even though you'd already graduated from a Methodist seminary with an MDiv yeah nice nice um, well, tell me about what God has been doing in your life and ministry since then. Um, oh gosh, that's a big question. I don't know how much you want to know. <laughs> well, you can just, uh, let me, let me talk about where I, yeah, let me talk about where I'm at right now. There we go. Um, there we go. And we'll go from there. Um, where I'm at right now is, uh, I am, I'm in my first senior pastor job at Methodist church. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing that for three years. We've we've made it through the pandemic. Um, our church had a big freeze and flood last year. 
that damaged 90% of our building that we had to remodel from and we are just now finishing that process it's been Mm. almost a full year since that happened Mm. um but during that time we um we spent a lot of time in discernment um and so we have a new kind of vision for our church and our our vision is to be a loving church all working together to eradicate spiritual relational nutritional insecurity in our neighborhood Mm. Uh, and that that it feels very much like that's part of the dna of our church um it feels very grounded and 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 real, um, and I'm excited about the work that we're going to be doing with that. Um, we're gonna we're trying to launch an, an urban farm ministry uh, this year. Uh, we've we've launched and started a partnership with an organization, national organization called Communities and Schools, that um, is a kind of mentoring uh, a mentoring program for um, elementary and middle and high school kids. Mm. and um yeah we we've just kind of done some some stuff to streamline our our leadership structure and it feels very much like we are moving forward into the future uh in the middle of all that uh, as time has has gone uh from when i really first started the ordination process and got to learn more and more about the methodist church uh, one of the things that i've been real passionate about is um racial justice and and uh kind of cultural intelligence and and just that whole idea of kind of race and culture and ministry mm-hmm. um so i got i got involved really early on in our uh conference uh committee on religion and race uh in the united methodist church conferences all it's kind of similar to what a region would be mm-hmm. in in the church of nazarene and so our conference is north texas conference um, which encompasses about 300 churches in, in the North Texas area. And there's four different districts that that's kind of subdivide the North Texas conference. But I got involved with the, with the conference committee on religion and race and uh, did a lot of learning and engaging in that. And we, we then also did some, started to do some trainings um, uh, for uh, churches, for local churches, for, um, the bishop and the cabinet and and the ministry uh, center staff and um, it led us to also doing some trainings on cultural intelligence for a large hospital here in Dallas and mm. um, the National United Methodist Women Organization and um, a few other a few other groups that it's been that's been a really fun journey that's a particular passion of mine um, and and I've I've been able to lead throughout that process um seven different civil rights pilgrimages throughout the south um mm-hmm. and and all of that that learning and engaging in uh, conversations on on race and racial justice and, and ministry um has just been so transformative um it's, it's one of the things that uh drew me into the methodist church there they have these social principles that are written out um next to their book of discipline and um, I just, I really appreciate the, the uh, social emphasis that um, uh, kind of that social holiness, personal holiness and social holiness uh, emphasis that the United Methodist Church has. And um, so I've been able to engage in some of that work and it's been really life-giving and transformative for me. That's awesome. Um, so just kind of in reflection, 
I'm wondering how we, and I guess I mean the church of the Nazarene, um, how we might've made a more like hospitable place for you and your, and your ministry within our denomination. Well, um, I definitely felt like if I had stayed in the church of the Nazarene, that I would be viewed as too progressive. Um, and, and looking at where I'm at, and I, I would have been very difficult, I think, for me to get a job past the first one. Um, can you, can I, gotten, do you mind me asking um, why you felt like that? Or or what about your beliefs did you feel like wouldn't um, have, have fit? I, I think um, at that point in my life, I, I had done a lot of research, um, and had a lot of intentional and long conversations with um, LGBTQ plus friends of mine. Mm. Um, and I felt like my stance on LGBT inclusion was, would not have been accepted. And, um, and even I think uh, my understanding of how racial reconciliation needs to happen would have been difficult to, um, to maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had experiences in which I saw um, siblings of mine in ministry in the Church of Nazarene not not make it through their ordination process mm-hmm. um, because of some sort of litmus test that was happening at the time, um, and I I really felt like I would just end up falling into that same category um, or had the potential maybe I don't know if I would or not, would not have for sure but um, so and I also think I, when I look back to when and how and why we started that felt like um, a ministry that you know here we were we were trying to get back to our roots and we were trying to um, like our, our Nazarene roots, not just our Wesleyan roots of liturgy and theology, but like our Nazarene roots of inner city ministry that, mm. you know, that started in, in Los Angeles, right, with, uh, with Brazil. Um, like we, we wanted to get back to some of that, and it felt like that was, um, that was not being well received by, uh, by the district um, mm. at the time, and uh, I, I had a hard time I had a hard time with that. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, I think those are those are probably the main things. Yeah. There are probably some other things that I could get into too. There's, I think there are some other polity things that I, I really appreciate about United Methodist Church that have pros and cons themselves, mm. but that I see the benefits of, especially like related to women in ministry. Um, because we have guaranteed appointments and because the bishop makes appointments and and tells pastors where to go and sends pastors to churches, it's not a congregational call system. Um, there is kind of a, uh, a compulsory um, uh, notion to uh, having women be in senior pastor leadership roles um, that has taken a long time for the Methodist Church to develop, um, but there are women in leadership at a very high level in the United Methodist Church that I don't see 
um, in the Church of the Nazarene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it mostly plays out just on the local church level where there are, are women serving very large congregations who are being very effective in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't see quite those same opportunities or the um, percentages of those in ministry uh, working out to quite the same way as they are the Methodist Church. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, do you have any words of wisdom or encouragement for for millennial clergy colleagues who who are still in the Church of Nazarene? You know, um, I'm a very competitive person, right? So it, it's easy for me as now an outsider of the Church of Nazarene to say, hey, come on over. Um, we're dealing with our own issues in, in the United Methodist Church and our, our system needs an overhaul too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to struggle through that for the next 30 years. You know, it's going to be a long journey. Um, and there are some things about the, the United Methodist Church related to just how cumbersome our bureaucracy and rules are mm. that is not present within the Nazarene church um, that could give the church of the Nazarene the ability to be a little more nimble and make changes that are needed quicker uh, and with more effectiveness um, than, than the United Methodist Church can do. Um, so I, I think there is there are some things inherent to the system in the Church of the Nazarene that um, if the Church of the Nazarene wanted to could could make some changes um, in a in a fashion that would catch at least catch up uh, in terms of some of the things I've talked about to the to the United Methodist Church if not you know surpass it if they were really if they really wanted to, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot more flexibility, um, in, in, in y'all system. So, um, you know, like I, like I said, the grass is always greener, but, um, there are things to be done within your own context that if you were to mobilize and, and work together, I think you could, you could achieve something. Mm in shorter fashion than what we can at least at this <laughs> point it seems it seems like an absolute uphill battle um mm. to try and change you know policies in, in the united Methodist church it's, it's very difficult to do mm. yeah and i see what you're saying i mean by comparison we are perhaps a little smaller and more nimble yeah i mean i on the horizon for us in the Methodist church is a split um that is is coming uh, it may happen this year uh, it, it has already started to happen. Um, it, it's complicated, so I don't want to get into all of that right now. Sure. Um, it, um, but we're we're going to have to. Uh, we I mean, we've got some changes we've got to make related to our system too, mm-hmm. and and the prospect of doing that, the the mechanics of making that happen, is 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 not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I still have hope too, 
Otherwise, it'd be hard to stay even in this context. But I have hope that it will change too. Um, yeah, that, that's why I continue working in the context that I'm in. I encourage you to continue working in the context that you are in, um, knowing that uh, it, you know every expression of, of Christian faith is um, is valuable, uh, mm-hmm. and that uh, we are all on some level trying to work towards the same thing. Mm. Um, every faith community yeah. has work to be done. Yeah, exactly. Every and this is kind of what I've been telling our church is, um, you know, we we have discerned this vision, and it is very localized. Um, it's very much about our neighborhood. We have discerned this vision, and no matter what happens with the denomination, because it's it's gonna be messy, um, and there's just no way around that. But no matter what happens with our denomination, that vision is not going anywhere. That is what we are called to in this season of ministry, um, to to meet the spiritual, relational, and nutritional needs of our neighborhood. Um, and so if we will just continue to be who we are in this place, in this time, then and in this, in this season, then that's what it means to be faithful to God right now um, in this church. And we just need to, you know, trust God that the winds and the waves will eventually calm down and Mm. and be at peace and we'll all find our way um i think it is unfortunate that you know this split is happening i think we do need each other um i think we we do need um different points of view on who god is and how god operates and, and how we are to be in relationship with god um and and i think something will be lost um Mm on on both sides um, yeah so uh I, I i in my opinion there's there's not winners <laughs> there's not winners in this yeah. and um I, you know if you're in a context that supports you and, and loves you and encourages you then then by all means that, i mean that's that's where you're called um mm. right now and just just stay true to that mm. Yeah, I think that's kept me going a lot myself is just um, staying grounded in my personal and local calling and purpose. Well, this yeah. has been great. Thank you so much for taking time out of your, your evening to be on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was it was a joy to talk with you. And, um, you know, I, I haven't, it's been a little while since I've thought about all these things, but uh, mm. it's definitely... And here, I want to say this too, as a, as a word Please. of encouragement. Yeah. When I was in that, in that moment of trying to decide um, between where, where, which way I was going, was I going to go with this Methodist church or was I going to go with the church of the Nazarene? It was an excruciating decision. Mm. Um, I, I don't think I underscored that enough um, because Church of the Nazarene was my mother in the faith. Mm. It's what brought me up. It's what nurtured me. It's what it is absolutely still part of who I am. And when I introduce myself to other people, I still include the fact that I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene mm. um, because it is uh, it is a source of meaning um, and a source of of understanding who I am and where I've come from. And I, I will never, I will never despise that, you know, sure. There are some things that, that I wish were different, but, um, 
absolutely. It, it, the Church of Nazarene was my, was my mother in the faith. And uh, my pastor at the time, when I was uh, working at that little bitty Methodist church, he, um, he, he was, he was wondering himself why it was taking me so long to make up my mind. <laughs> um, and, and that was the language he gave me. Mm. As he, he said to, he, he said to somebody, well, the reason it, it's, it's hard for him is he, it's like he's having to leave his mother mm. behind. And, and that's ex- exactly the way it felt. Um, and so, yeah, um, there's a lot that I cherish still about, uh, from, of memories, uh, from my, uh, growing up in the church of Nazarene and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never, I'll never lose that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I'm grateful for you and, um, the ministry that, um, you're doing in the world. I think it's great. And I really appreciate you sharing it with us. Well, thanks for having me. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hey there, my name is Caleb Cray Haynes, and I'm the author of the new book, Garbage Theology, The Unseen World of Waste and What It Means for the Salvation of Every Person, Every Place, and Everything. In a time when the church has been far too silent on the environmental crisis facing us all, How might we have a better grasp on what the Bible says, what the science says, and how to engage in this very Christian calling to serve and keep creation? Woven through my story of working bivocationally as a pastor and a trash hauler, Garbage Theology seeks to tackle these large questions by taking a close look at what nobody wants to see, our waste. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Britt Bullerjack. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.